Second Peter, Second Peter, chapter three. Second Peter three, and we'll be reading the eighteen verses of this chapter. Second Peter three, beginning at verse one. What we hear now is God's word. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago. And the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are awaiting for the or since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. For there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory 
both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, the back section, page 870. This is the Belgic Confession of Faith, one of the doctrinal standards of our church, and this morning we're going to look at Article 37. Article 37, entitled The Last Judgment. We read there, Finally, we believe, according to God's word, that when the time appointed by the Lord is come, which is unknown to all creatures, and the number of the elect is complete, our Lord Jesus Christ will come from heaven bodily and visibly as he ascended with great glory and majesty to declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will, build this, he will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge, men, women, and children, who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and by the sound of the divine trumpet. For all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth, their spirits being joined and united with their own bodies in which they lived. And as for those who are still alive, they will not die like the others, but will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. Then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened, and the dead will be judged according to the things they did in the world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account of all the idle words they have spoken, which the world regards as only playing games. And then the secrets and hypocrisies of men will be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. Therefore, with good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful to wicked and evil people. But it is very pleasant and a great comfort to the righteous and elect, since their total redemption will then be accomplished. They will then receive the fruits of their labors and of the trouble they have suffered. Their innocence will be openly recognized by all, and they will see the terrible vengeance that God will bring on the evil ones who tyrannized, oppressed, and tormented them in this world. The evil ones will be convicted by the witness of their own consciousness and shall be made immortal, but only to the tormented in the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In contrast, the faithful and elect will be crowned with glory and honor. The Son of God will confess their names before God his Father and the holy and elect angels. All tears will be wiped from their eyes, and their cause, at present condemned as heretical and evil by many judges and civil officers, will be acknowledged as the cause of the Son of God. And as a gracious reward, the Lord will make them possess a glory such as the heart of man could never imagine. So we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is our confession of faith.
Well, this morning we are returning uh, to our series on the Belgic Confession. We have been studying the Confession for quite some time, and just before Advent, we were almost done, but we took time off for Advent and then the events of this month. So we are returning to our uh, series on the Belgic Confession. We are also concluding our series on the Belgic Confession. As we come to the last article, Article 37, this series we began uh, well over a year ago. It was in October of 2022. We began studying the Confession. You may recall the Confession lays out for us all the, the basic truths of what it is to be a believer. We began by talking about God and about His Holy Word. We talked about God as that God who is the creator of all things and the upholder of all things. We then talked about man, created in the image of God, yet now fallen and sinful. We went on to speak about the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the last few articles, just before we took our brief break, were on the church. What it means to be a church and what it means to be a member of a church. We now come to the last article. The article entitled, The Last judgment. Our understanding of the final judgment, the last days, is something that comes not simply from one text of Scripture, but that is written throughout the Scriptures. It's a big topic, uh, talking about the last judgment, talking about the end times. And so I'm going to give a brief uh, advertisement and that is in our Wednesday evening URC 101 class, we've been spending all year discussing eschatology, discussing the end times. And that class starts again this Wednesday. So if you'd like to come on Wednesday nights, we'll be talking about the various millennial views and look at end times theology together again. The end times, the final judgment, is something that has been the subject of a variety of books, of radio shows, of movies. Like I said, it's a huge topic. This morning, we are going to be fairly limited and fairly focused, looking primarily at this text from 2 Peter chapter 3. And not just to understand what the end times, what the, what the last judgment is about, but to understand in light of that, how are we to live today? It's easy to put our eschatology off into the future and say, you know, that really has no impact on me right now. But Peter was concerned to instruct his hearers that since there was a last judgment, it would impact how they live right now. He, he begins by reminding them of the certainty of a last judgment. Apparently there were those who were saying, you know, uh, we don't think it's ever going to happen. There were those who were what I would call the deniers. The deniers of a final judgment. We read there in verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They deny that there will be an end of time. They deny there will be a final judgment. And it's easy to see why that would happen. Because Jesus had returned back to heaven again, saying he would come back. But he didn't come back the next week 
He didn't come back the next month. He didn't come back the next year. And time continued to go on. And there were those that were saying, what's become of this promise that he would return again? Denying that it would ever happen. Everything's always been the same, they say. What does Peter say to that? Verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He says that these deniers say that things are going to keep going on as it always has. They deliberately forget that God did come with judgment, that God did come with a flood to destroy the world. They forget what's happened in the past and say, look, everything's the same as it's always been. We can continue to live as we want. They have such short memories, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The deniers were trying to use their own timetable. Look, we think it should happen then, but it didn't happen then, so it's never going to happen. But God, God has his own timetable, and things unfold according to his perfect plan. There were those who denied that there would ever be this final judgment. We still have those today that deny that there will be a final judgment. Things just keep going on as they always have been. Deniers don't want to see the inevitability of a final judgment. But there's another group, another group that by their actions undercut the certainty of a final judgment. And I call them not the deniers, but I would call them the daters. Those who want to date the final judgment of God. And this has always been the case throughout history. Many of us remember when we were approaching the year 2000. And there was a heightened eschatological expectation. Something's going to happen. This could be the time when Christ comes again. Again, I said it's been happening throughout history. In 1260, Joachim of Flores in Italy suggested Christ was going to come back, and he did not come. In 1483, William Miller, who forms the Millerites, now the Adventists, says Christ is going to come back, and he did not come. In 1914, Charles Russell says Christ is going to come back, and he does not come. In our own time, some of you remember, 1994 and 2011, a man named Harold Camping said, Christ is going to come back, and he did not come. And all of these dates and all of these predictions that do not come to pass tend to undercut people's surety, people's certainty, that Christ will come back. He didn't come back then. Okay, maybe he's not going to come back at all. 
It, it, it undermines their certainty in the final coming of our Lord, in the last judgment. And so we remind ourselves that that last day, as our confession says, is unknown to us, but it is most certainly known to God. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise. That day will come. God has said, as Peter reminds us, through the prophets and through the apostles, that Christ will come again. Think of it, children, when Jesus went back to heaven. Remember when Jesus went back to heaven and, and he was with his men there and they were, they were looking up and they saw him go to heaven. And what happened? There was an angel that came to them. And the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go to heaven. He will come back. That was the word of the angel. And we're reminded that God is not slow in keeping his promises, but he unfolds them on his perfect timetable. I can tell you with absolute certainty, Christ will return. And there will be a final, last judgment. And, and I suspect, I suspect all of us here would confess that. Yes, we know there will be an end of times, a final judgment. We confess that with our mouth. But, but sometimes our actions speak louder than our words. From our text, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness. Since we know there is a final judgment coming, it affects how we live today. We know God will come to judge the living and the dead. And so Peter encourages them to live in holiness, to live in godliness, and we have that same encouragement. To live for God now not putting off our commitment to him to some time in the future, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Not to say, we will really start to follow God sometime later, but right now, he hasn't come back yet, so I've got time to wait. No, God most certainly will come back. He will come back as judge. I can tell you with absolute certainty, it will happen. We do not know when, but it will happen. And so how are we to live now in light of that truth? He calls us to godliness. He calls us to holiness. For God will come as judge. And that judgment, that judgment will include all of creation. There will be a cosmic scope to that last final judgment from verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Everything burned up. The creation purified by fire because all creation was affected by the fall into sin. 
Creation groans because of the weight of sin. And so all creation will undergo this, this purging, this judgment, this purifying. And that's what our confession says at the end of that first paragraph. He will declare himself the judge of the living and the dead. He will burn this old world in fire and flame in order to cleanse it. There'll be a purifying. There'll be a cleansing. Everything done away with and now, now made holy to the Lord. To be devoted to him in the new heavens and the new earth. Everything destroyed. In light of that truth, the cosmic nature of God's final judgment, that the things of this life will be destroyed, will be purified. How is it that we seem to want to hold onto our possessions so closely, our grip so tight? on the things of this earth, world. What can we amass for ourselves when it's all destined for destruction? It puts even our own possessions in the proper perspective. Those things that we have, that we've worked so hard for, that we hold so dear, will be burned by fire. How are we to live in light of this last judgment? Creation will be affected by the judgment and certainly people will be affected. All people. And that again from our confession. Then all human creatures will appear in person before that great judge. Men and women and children who have lived from the beginning until the end of the world. They will be summoned there by the voice of the archangel and the sound of the divine trumpet. And all those who died before that time will be raised from the earth. Their spirits join the united with their bodies. And as for those who are alive, they will not die, but they will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from corruptible to incorruptible. No one will escape the final judgment. It will come on all people. It will come on those who have died. It will come on those who are alive. It will come to those at all times and from all places, no one is exempt. It is something that everyone will face, the cosmic scope of the coming of Christ and the final judgment. No one will escape that great and terrible day. And how will that judgment be carried out? on all of the people, men and women and children. How is that judgment carried out? It is carried out according to God's righteous standards. We will be judged by what we have done. Again, from the confession. Then the books, that is the consciences, will be opened and the dead will be judged according to the things that they did in the world, whether good or evil. Indeed, all people will give account of all the idle words they have spoken, accounting for everything that we have done. Certainly the wicked will be held to account. They'll be held to account for their failure to follow God and to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
We think of a text like Matthew 25 that speaks about that final judgment. In Matthew 25, the story uh, given to us there, Jesus says to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal life prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. They will be judged by what they have done. Failure to live lives of godliness. Failure to live lives of holiness. Failure to acknowledge God. And just as in this life, the wicked wanting nothing to do with God or to serve him in any, in any way, in that final last judgment, they will be given exactly what they wanted throughout this life. They will have nothing to do with God for all eternity. Only facing his wrath. Only facing his judgment. For the things they have left undone. For failures to live for God, to embrace Jesus Christ. For failures to know him. You know, oftentimes we talk with unbelievers. and We talk about eternity and heaven. Uh, one of the things you'll often hear is, you know, uh, I'm not that bad. I, I haven't done anything really terrible. You haven't done anything. You haven't served God. You haven't embraced God. That's the problem. When our unbelieving friends say, I haven't done anything, say, you must do something. You must embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then live for him as a result of that. Lives of holiness, lives of godliness. The wicked will be judged by what they have done. And the frightening thing is, the righteous will be judged by the same standard. The righteous will be judged by works. The righteous will be judged by works done and by works left undone. The difference between the wicked and the righteous, the standard's the same. But the difference is, when God judges the works of the righteous, he sees not our works, what we have done, but he sees the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When by faith we embrace him, not only are all of our sins taken away, as wonderful as, as that is, but all of Christ's obedience, all of Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And God, now looking at us, does not see our works, but sees the perfect work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God. And so Peter says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found in him. 
And that's the call of the gospel once again this morning. If you have never embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can tell you with absolute certainty, the day of judgment is coming. It is coming according to God's perfect timetable. And if you attempt to stand before him simply with the works you can offer, none can stand in that place of judgment. So this morning, I call you to embrace Jesus Christ. Embrace him as Savior. Embrace him as Lord of your life. And know the joy of belonging to him and peace. Peace when considering that final judgment day. How will we stand before God? Will we stand before him in our own filthy rags of works? Seeing the terror and the vengeance of God come upon the wicked? Or will we stand by God's grace clothed in the righteousness of Christ, knowing that he has secured an eternal redemption for each and every one of his people. And as we consider that last day, as we consider that final judgment, there is the peace of God that dwells in our heart, knowing that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to bring us through. And so our confession says, so we look forward to that great day with longing in order to enjoy fully the promises of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word a word that is right, a word that is true, a word that is trustworthy. We thank you, O God, that your promises in your word are true. And they all come at the perfect time according to your timetable. Lord God, we have spoken of things truly beyond us this morning, of that final cosmic judgment which you will bring. We pray, Lord God, that you would quicken our hearts in light of that reality, to live in a way right now that brings glory and honor and praise to you, pursuing righteousness, pursuing godliness. Lord God, if we have never embraced Jesus Christ, if this day is still a day of unmitigated judgment, we pray you would move in our hearts today, that you would give us the gift of faith by which we embrace Jesus Christ and all the blessings that come from him. Lord God, hear our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen. We're going to turn to number 386. Number 386. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favored sinners slain, thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Alleluia. Alleluia, God appears on earth to reign. We're going to sing all five verses, four, and then the one across the page, all five verses of 386. Let's stand together as we sing.
receive the parting blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.